7.44. It might feel all too familiar. North Korea cancelling the planned meeting with South Korean officials this week, threatening to pull out of next month's summit, even with the United States. Even though, as of today, uh, we've got quotes from President Trump saying, no decision, we haven't seen anything, we haven't heard anything, we'll see what happens, leaving things fairly up in the air. But he was speaking at a meeting with Uzbek President Shavkat Mirziyoyev, um, which I think we have to take into account there. We might see something more colourful from him on Twitter, as has been the case in the past. Bruce Klinger is a senior research fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation, former CIA Deputy Division Chief for Korea. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I mean, at this point, it's been rather cagey from both the US and South Korea, not really wanting to say anything that's going to completely damage ties that uh, took quite a hit yesterday. What, what's your view of development? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think both uh, countries have uh, tried to downplay the, the disruption. Uh, I'm in Seoul this week, and uh, it was just sort of, you know, puzzling seeing the difference between our conversations on Tuesday when uh, U.S. and South Korean experts were discussing sort of how big a proposal Kim Jong-un would be coming into with the into the summit, uh, and you know how likely was Trump going to you know jump at this opportunity, uh, and then the next morning we all wake up to the news and it's sort of we we couldn't help but chuckle that you know we're now back to sort of the the North Korea that we're more used to the more belligerent and threatening try to negotiate before they even enter into the negotiations. Um, several of us had meetings with uh, Blue House officials scheduled for today and tomorrow, and those have been canceled, I think, as they scramble to try to uh, figure out what to do. Uh, last night, we were all sort of watching our Twitter feeds, uh, seeing, you know, waiting for some bombastic tweet from the president, and uh, that's not happened. So instead, I think the White House is, is trying to minimize the impact on the on the summit you know but i think also the the u.s would be surprised and trying to figure out how to respond well what we have had probably the most interesting thing out of the u.s was john bolton speaking to fox news radio um and, and you know the first part of a, a quote that's been widely distributed is we're going to do everything we can to do to come to a successful meeting but we're not going to back away it's the second part not going to back away that perhaps is most fascinating because he he repeats again the objective being complete, verifiable and irreversible denuclearization of North Korea. And it, it seems to be this insistence by the US that's upset North Korea based on the quotes we've got from them in the last 24 hours. Right. Well, the, the CVID is, is not just some U.S. negotiating position. It's what is required under numerous U.N. resolutions. So, you know, as often as North Korea tries to depict this as a U.S.-North Korea bilateral issue, of course, it's North Korea versus the international community. So uh, the U.N. Security Council has repeatedly decided that North Korea uh, must not only not do any nuclear or missile tests, which are violations, but they've decided that North Korea must abandon its nuclear and missile programs, as well as its biological and chemical warfare uh, programs, in a CVID manner. So uh, it is the decision of the international community that North Korea must do that. But the North Korean vice foreign minister, Kim Kye-kwan, who's the, the highest level official to speak publicly on this so far in the last 24 hours through the North state media. Um, he said pretty clearly that, that North Korea is not interested in denuclearization in return for economic favors. 
speaking in a way that kind of seemed to erase or, or conveniently put aside everything that's happened since the inter-Korean summit of April 27th and even, even before that. You would have thought those sorts of issues would have come up previously. Well, I, I think during the, the inter-Korean summit, uh, President Moon assigned himself the role of good cop or, or sort of the benevolent parent who you know, is offering lots of goodies, and he deferred to the U.S. to play the more difficult role of, of bad cop or the wait till your father gets home and tell, talk to you about denuclearization. So, uh, you know, Moon, Moon was focusing more on the benefits that uh, would be provided, including resurrections of some of the large uh, infrastructure projects that were promised in the 2000 summit. So uh, I think it was, as some South Korean officials have told me, it's that they were setting the table for the U.S. meeting rather than delving into the difficult issues themselves. Um, you know, but this negotiating tactics by the North, you know, I, I don't think it'll be a big enough bump to derail the summit, uh, but it certainly erases a lot of the goodwill that Kim Jong-un had developed by this, you know, his diplomatic, you know, coming out party since January. So there had been, you know, the, this sort of you know, shift from the the image of the North of the North Korean, sort of similar to in the Soviet era, shift from the sort of the ham-fisted tactics of Brezhnev and Khrushchev to the more refined tactics of Gorbachev. But now, with these kind of uh, you know tactics, I think it, it erases the goodwill. And and the first announcement of the you know sort of the complaints about the military exercise was sort of bad enough. But then having Kim Gaeguan really remove the fig leaf of what some people had come to think that. North Korea really was going to put the nuke, nuke weapons on the table. Uh, instead, it's sort of affirming what their position has been for quite some time, which is sort of global arms control. If the rest of the world goes down to zero, then they will go down to zero. Well, there'd been this idea that um, also North Korea would happily accept the U.S.-South Korean military alliance, which, which seemed improbable when those um, quotes were coming out in the last month. And and perhaps uh, there's an argument that this Max Thunder drill has uh, involved more hardware than was necessary. There were reports that there would be a B-52 bomber involved um, in the joint drills going on. Uh, now reports maybe that there won't be a B-52 bomber involved. But 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 could U.S. and South Korea have um, been a little bit more tame with this drill to, to not provoke North Korea? Or is North Korea just using it as an excuse? I, I think they're using it as an excuse. The, you know, on the the issue of U.S. troops remaining on the peninsula, uh, there's really a long history of uh, North Korea being on both sides of the fence. There were uh, Kim Jong uh, Il, you know, messages in 1992 and 2000 to the U.S. that U.S. forces could stay after unification, and uh, Robert Gallucci, the U.S. negotiator for the agreed framework, said that his counterpart. Uh, in 1994, said yes, it'd, it'd be fine for U.S. troops to remain. You know, of course, uh, other times North Korea has demanded that they be removed as part of the proving the U.S. hostile policy has been, uh, you know, ended. Um, but also, with the senior delegation from South Korea that met with Kim Jong Un in February, said that he had uh, sort of very readily accepted the that these exercises would uh, continue this year, uh, and almost with the, the flick of a royal wrist, dismissed it as an issue, saying, yes, we understand, we won't criticize you this year. Is it possible Kim Jong-un is just looking then for an excuse 
not only to raise a, a, a fuss here, but maybe to avoid meeting President Trump? Is it possible he's getting cold feet, that everything was moving rather fast, and that uh, once he meets Trump and solidifies a denuclearization agreement, maybe there's no turning back? That, that's possible. Uh, and, and we do think that uh, when President Trump accepted the South Korean conveying the North Korean invitation for a summit, it surprised the senior U.S. officials in the room, the South Korean delegation, and and we understand it also surprised the the North Koreans. So maybe it was moving quicker than they had thought, but um, then, you know, it seems like they could have, uh, you know, taken a different route of saying, well, we, we need a little more time. Let's, you know, we want to work things out. Let's have a few working level meetings or, you know, or, or continuing working level or senior level meetings before the actual summit um, to ensure success. So, I, you know, it does seem a bit more like kind of the old game plan of, um, you know, once another country accepts a meeting with North Korea, then they sort of figure they've, they've set the hook and now we'll try to, you know, raise the, the, the entry fee or, you know, try to raise the stakes. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I think, I think the tactics have, you know, cast a dark cloud over the summit or, you know, sort of thrown cold water on people, some people's expectations that uh, North Korea had just sort of happily put their nukes on the table. Well, and on that basis, were the expectations on false ground in the first place? Is there a danger, many of us were kind of intoxicated by that amazing handshake at the border, the the step across to North Korea by Moon Jae-in and, I, and then the smiles with Kim Jong-un? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a difference of view in Washington and Seoul. There does seem to be, you know, kind of an irrational exuberance uh, in South Korea about the results of the summit. And, and we saw just how quickly the public opinion polls shifted from, you know, kind of a very jaded view of perhaps 15% of South Koreans saying, yeah, this, you know, yet another meeting will, will work, that we can trust North Korea. And then after one day of meetings where actually nothing, uh, you know, changed, um, you know, now it's what seventy percent or more of South Koreans are optimistic that this will that this time will work. Uh, and if you look at the Panmunjom Declaration, it's really kind of a plagiarized, you know, regurgitation of many North Korean commitments that they violated in the past, which is obviously a concern. Um, just to finish with, what happens next? Uh, a lot of international media outlets are asking this question. President Moon Jae-in. I think you'll agree with me, is a very patient man, it seems, with North Korea. But President Trump doesn't seem to share that same characteristic. No, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, to be honest, it's it's getting much harder to predict what's going to go on on the Korean Peninsula than in sort of any of the other 24 years I've been following this. You know, it's also, it seems that, you know, each of the three leaders, Trump, Moon, and uh, Kim, all seem to think that they're in the driver's seat. Uh, which kind of brings to mind an image of three cars hurtling towards an intersection. E- you know, each driver convinced that he has the right of way and others will yield to him. Uh, you know, it might work or you could have disastrous results. Bruce Klingner, Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia. It's always a pleasure to have you on the line uh, from your position at the Heritage Foundation. Look forward to next time, hopefully under slightly more promising circumstances. <laughs> well, thanks again for having me.